0: If you'd please meet me in Matthew chapter 27, we'll be reading verses 1 through 26. The text reads like this When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They say, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to them, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you. But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting, besides while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, "Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream." Now the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to him, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they, all sh- but they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing,
1: When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, those were the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, modern day Greece. And those are the words that will frame the series that we're beginning today called Why Jesus Died. For some months now, a, a burden has uh, been growing within me to preach a, a series of messages on the cross of the Lord Jesus. And that's owing in part to where we are in the year with Easter right around the corner, but it's also owing to what I see in the church as I look out on us week by week. I believe that some of us perhaps are on the fence when it comes to Jesus. Perhaps we believe the The facts about Jesus, but we haven't yet yielded our lives to Jesus by trusting him. And if that's you, then you need to come with me to the cross. Others of us perhaps have lost our first love. We're content to to come to church, to to worship, to to go through the motions, but the thousands of demands that consume our work weeks are really the priorities of our lives. And if that's you, then you need to come with me to the cross. Others of us would say that perhaps we're just stuck in some sin of, of one kind or another i was making a a coffee this past week and was listening to an interview with a pastor and this pastor was asked the question what would you say to a believer who feels stuck in a sin of one kind or another they've they've tried so many things but nothing seems to be working and this pastor said it is so tempting to run to plans and to run to strategies But it all begins at the cross and at the gospel of grace. Listen to this. That knocks us out, softens our hearts, wins and woos us to Christ. And I think some of us need to be knocked out all over again and have our hearts softened and for us to be won and wooed by Jesus all over again and if that's you come with me to the cross Others of us would say, actually, Hugh, I'm doing well in my walk with the Lord. I'm, I'm excited to be here on the Lord's Day morning and at church Lord's Day evening. I'm enjoying my times in the Word. I'm, I'm passionate in prayer. I'm sharing the gospel with my, my colleagues or with my neighbors. And to that, I would say, well, praise be to God. But if that is you, then you will want this series more than anyone because the, the paradox of the Christian life is this. The more we grow in holiness, the more unholiness we see in our lives. And the stronger we feel as believers, the more dependent we feel and know ourselves to be as, as Christians. And the more that we love Christ, the more we want to love Christ. And so you need to come with me to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And Perhaps you'd say, Hugh, I'm new to all of this frankly and the songs and the singing were were moving a few moments ago the people here seem very very nice but I'm not sure where to start when it comes to this Christianity thing and friend to you I would say it all begins at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and so come with me to that cross today and in the weeks to come. Again, we're calling this series, Why Jesus Died. And the reason is to save sinners. That's the reason that we're looking at this week, to save sinners. We're gonna let Matthew, one of the gospel writers, show that to us. And so if you have your Bible, do reopen it to Matthew 27. If you don't, don't worry. You can just listen along as I read. But at this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is very close to completing his mission here on earth. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He has prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. He's been arrested. He's been interrogated. And at the beginning of Matthew 27, Jesus is brought before the governor or Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. See, the chief priests and the elders know that they don't have the authority to execute someone on the charge of blasphemy and so they have to get Pontius Pilate to give the order. They, they march Jesus to Pontius Pilate and they begin to twist, to distort, to misrepresent, to exaggerate so many of the things that Jesus has said in his preaching ministry. Jesus tells us not to pay our taxes which he didn't and he doesn't. Jesus stirs up the people. Jesus says that he's a king. And that charge would have been the charge to sound an alarm bell in Pontius Pilate's ears because a claim to kingship was a threat to Rome. And so we, be, we read in Matthew twenty seven eleven. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so but when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he, Jesus, gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. And from here, Matthew is going to show us our sin Personified and second, our Savior identified, so number one, our sin personified, just look with me, please at verse fifteen to twenty one again, Matthew writes now at the feast, and that was the feast of the the Passover. The governor Pontius Pilate was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Now, who was this Barabbas? We're told that he was a notorious prisoner. And when we look at the other gospel writers, they describe Barabbas, as a robber, a murderer, and an insurrectionist. That is someone who had sought to topple or overthrow Rome. And that's why Barabbas, though a real historical man, is also a picture of our sin. A a walking, talking, breathing illustration of my sin and your sin against God. Because when the Bible describes us as sinners, it's describing us as those who have rebelled against heaven's government, heaven's throne, heaven's king. And we are those who have raised our fists to God and who say by the way that we live our lives, my life, my rules, my choices stuff you. And I am someone who left to myself without God's intervention in my life wants to load a pistol in the face of God and who wants to ram a dagger through God's heart. Why? Because if God is God, then I can't be God over my life. And again, by nature, without God's help and without God changing me altogether, That's what we all want. And this is what people just don't get about sin in our world. If people have any notion, any category for sin at all, it boils down to nothing more than deeds, wrongful actions. Someone might say, Hugh, look, if if anyone is a sinner today, it is Vladimir Putin It's the couple who abandoned their baby and then went on the run. It's racists, it's adulterers, it's embezzlers, it's crooked politicians, it's those who abuse helpless animals. But friends, those actions are merely the fruit of the root of the problem. The symptoms of the disease that exists within me. And that exists within you. Because at the heart of the disease of sin is the human heart that feels the way about God that Barabbas felt about Rome. And that's what it means to be a sinner. And that's who I am. And that's who you are before God intervenes and changes us from the inside out. Now look, some of you are going to be hearing this and think to yourself, okay, Hugh, this this preaches well, but this just doesn't square up with the experience that I have of of unbelievers. You see, Hugh, the, the unbelievers that I know, the unbelievers that I work with, the unbelievers that I live next door to are conscientious, selfless people who take a genuine interest and concern for others, and actually, Hugh, for, for every one Vladimir Putin, are thousands of homeowners willing to take Ukrainian refugees in. A- and for every one couple who abandons their baby, are thousands of people who are uh, adopting babies. And all of that is true. The point, though, is left to ourselves. The more we hear about God, the less we want to hear. And the closer God gets to us, the, more, the further we want to run away. And the more we understand about God's rule over our lives, the more uncomfortable we feel. Why? Because God is the threat to our paper mache thrones and kingdoms of sand. Listen to the way that someone illustrated this. He, he wrote, if you're a parent, you know that your children are collections of self-sovereignty. Uh, All a child really wants is his own way. He doesn't want to be told what to eat, what to wear, when, when to go to bed, how to steward his possessions, or how to treat others. He wants to be in the center of his own little world and to write his own set of rules. And he is surprised that you have the audacity to tell him what to do. And all the parents said, Amen. But it isn't just children. Sin, this author writes, causes this Self-sovereignty to live in all of us. We tend to want more control than we are wise enough or strong enough to handle. We want people to follow our way and stay out of our way. When we wish for these things, we are forgetting who we are and who God is. And friend, if you're still not convinced, then look no further than our passage Because in our passage, God is standing trial. The chief priests and the elders, uh, they know exactly who they're dealing with when it comes to Jesus Jesus of Nazareth. You Remember John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes to see Jesus. And what does he say to Jesus? Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And even Pilate's wife knows that Jesus is innocent. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much today in a dream because of him. And yet here the chief priests and the elders are screaming, crucify him. Why? Because Jesus shatters the illusion of our lordship. That's why. And if I had been there, then my voice would have been the loudest in the crowd. But friend, Jesus came to save cosmic traitors like me. Jesus came to save cosmic traitors like you. And that's what we're going to see under the next heading. But before we get there, I need to say this. If you reject Jesus, you will not succeed in opposing God. Trust me, I have read the end of this book and Jesus wins. But our attempts to suppress the lordship of God is like trying to suppress the explosion of a nuclear bomb with a paper bag. Your attempt to rival God's reign is like my four-year-old storming the gates of Buckingham Palace armed with a water pistol, fully expecting to be crowned queen. It's not going to happen. And so we've seen our, our sin personified in Barabbas, but I want us to see second, our Savior identified. Friends, look at verse 20 to 26. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So before Pilate stood two men... Barabbas, whose name means son of the father, an insurrectionist, a murderer, a thief. And and, and a few feet away from him stood Jesus, the son of God, innocent, righteous, and just. And because he, the righteous one, was sentenced to death, Barabbas, the guilty one, walked free. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, most scholars believe that the very cross on which Jesus died had been prepared that day for Barabbas. That Barabbas had been scheduled to die between two thieves who were more than likely his accomplices. But Jesus died on that cross instead of him. So that while our sin is per- personified in Barabbas, our savior is identified in Jesus. You see, on the cross, Jesus experienced the judgment that we deserve for our sin. so that by trusting in him, we would never have to experience that judgment at all but would be saved from it. And to to help us grasp that today, I want to show you all what that meant for Jesus from a human perspective. And then I want to show us all what that meant for Jesus from a divine perspective. Crucifixion began with the victim being scourged. One commentator writes this, the whip used for scourging had a short wooden handle to the end of which were attached several leather straps each strap was tipped with very sharp pieces of metal or bone the man to be scourged was tied to a post by the wrists high over his head with his feet dangling and his body taut often there were two scourgers one on either side of the victim who took turns lashing him across the back Muscles were lacerated, veins and arteries were torn open, and it was not uncommon for the kidneys, spleen, or other organs to be exposed and slashed. As would be expected, many men died of scourging before they could be taken out for execution. And in her book, The Crucifixion, Fleming Rutledge describes what happened next. She wrote, Crucifixion as a means of execution in the Roman Empire had as its express purpose the elimination of victims from consideration as members of the human race. It cannot be said too strongly. That was its function. It was meant to indicate to all who might be toying with subversive ideas that crucified persons were not of the same species as either the executioners or the spectators and were therefore not only expendable but also deserving of ritualized extermination and she goes on and writes those being crucified were paraded through the streets exposing them to the full scorn of the population when the procession reached the site of crucifixion, the victims would see them, see before them the heavy upright wooden posts permanently in place to which the pabulum was to be attached by a mortoise and tenon joint. The person to be cru- crucified would then be thrown down on his back, exacerbating the pain of the wounds from, his, from the scourging and introducing dirt into them. His hands would be tied or nailed to the crossbar nailing seems to have been preferred by the Romans. Ossuary finds have given us a clearer idea of how this was done. The nails were not driven into the palms, which could not support the weight of a man's body, but into the wrists. At this point, the process of crucifixion proper began. Victims of crucifixion lived on their crosses for periods varying from three or four hours To three or four days. It has often been remarked. That Jesus' ordeal was relatively brief. Perhaps he was weakened by the scourging. Or had lost more blood than usual. Or suffered cardiac rupture. We cannot know. Passive exhalation. Which we all do thousands of times a day. Without thinking about it. Becomes impossible. For a person hanging on a cross. The weight of a body Hanging by its wrists would depress the muscles required for breathing out. Therefore, exhaled breath could only be achieved by a tremendous effort. The only way to gain a breath at all would be by pushing oneself up from the legs and feet or pulling oneself up by the arms, either of which would cause intense agony. Add to this primary factor the following secondary ones bodily functions uncontrolled, insects feasting on wounds and orifices, unspeakable thirst, muscle cramps, bolts of pain from the severed median nerves in the wrists, scourged back scraping against the wooden posts. It is more than any of us are capable of fully imagining. That's at least something of what Jesus experienced from a human perspective. But let Joni Erickson's Tata now show you at least something of what Jesus' crucifixion meant from a divine perspective. These pains, the physical pains, she writes, are a mere warm-up to Jesus' other and growing dread. He begins to feel a Foreign sensation. Somewhere during this day, an unearthly foul odor began to waft, not around his nose, but his heart. He feels unclean. Human wickedness starts to crawl upon his spotless being, the living excrement from our souls. The apple of his father's eye turns brown with rot. From heaven the father now rouses himself like a lion disturbed, shakes his mane and roars against the shriveling remnant of a man hanging on a cross. Never has the son seen the father look at him so. Never felt even the least of his hot breath. But the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. The son does not recognize these eyes. Son of man, why have you behaved so? You have cheated, lusted, stolen, gossiped, murdered, envied, hated, lied. You have cursed and blasphemed. Oh, the duties you have shirked, the children you have abandoned, who has ever so ignored the poor, so played the coward, so belittled my name. Have you ever held your razor tongue? Who gave you the boldness to rig elections? foment revolutions and worship demons, splitting families, acting smugly, playing the pimp, buying politicians, practicing exhortation, uh, exhortation, filming pornography, accepting bribes. You have perfected terrorist tactics, founded false religion, traded slaves. I hate, loathe these things in you. Of course, the son is innocent. He is blamelessness itself. The father knows this, but the divine pair have an agreement and the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin ever committed. The father watches as his heart's treasure, the mirror image of himself sinks, drowning into raw liquid sin. God's stored rage from every century, explodes in a single direction. Father, why have you forsaken me? But heaven stops its ears. And the son stares up at the one who cannot, who will not reach down or reply. Jesus, the God-man from Nazareth, perished. The father accepted his sacrifice for sin and was satisfied, the rescue was accomplished. Jesus saved sinners by dying for them. Jesus saved sinners by dying for them. And how can we begin, how can we begin to take that in? How can we begin to take it in? Well, by being assured of Jesus' love for you. By being assured of Jesus' love for you. Perhaps when you heard what I just read, you felt pinned to the floor by guilt. Not a guilt that humbles you and causes you to depend on Christ all the more, but a guilt that leads you away from Christ, a guilt that breeds hopelessness and despair. But friend, the cross is irrefutable proof that you are deeply, meaningfully, profoundly and powerfully loved. That you are seen, that you are known, that you are Noticed and loved by him. Such that if you could see and experience his love for you for only two seconds, then your life would be permanently and forever changed. And Jesus would be enthroned on the throne of your heart. And if you're struggling to believe that Jesus really does love you like This then ask yourself this question did Jesus need to go to the cross well no Jesus could have just stayed in heaven and let the world go to hell but instead Jesus chose the cross Jesus chose everything I just read and more he went there knowing exactly what he was getting himself into And not only that, friend, but Jesus had the power to stop it at any moment. But he didn't. Why? Because he wants you. And because he loves you. And because he wants to save you. And because he wants you out of sin and into a relationship with him. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me is the current of his love. Leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. There is nothing like this. Friend, marvel at it. Savor it. Revel in it. Glorify God because, it, because of it. Because it's real. Here's the word of the, for those of you who are perhaps still on the fence. Perhaps not yet a believer at all. Decide for Jesus. Now why, why do I say that? Well friends, if we've seen our sin personified in Barabbas, if we've seen our Savior identified in Jesus, then we see our dilemma dramatized in Pilate. What do I mean by that? Well, Pontius Pilate knew that Jesus Christ was innocent as you do. Jesus had said hardly a word to Pontius Pilate, and yet somehow Pontius Pilate got the feeling that he'd never been in better company. And he sought to release Jesus. So, why didn't he? Well, Pilate didn't release Jesus because he knew that if he sided with Jesus, he would lose it all. And now we don't have time to, to get into this right now, but the, the history books tell us that Pilate had grievously, grievously offended the Jews. In three significant ways prior to this moment, so that if Jesus did, uh, so that if Pilate rather did side with Jesus and a riot really did break out on his watch, no doubt his career would be over as the governor of Judea. And so Pilate's dilemma was simply this: will I save my life and reject Jesus, or will I side with Jesus and lose my life? And we all know what he chose. He chose his life and lost his soul because in saving his life, he rejected Jesus. And you know, this is why some of you are on the fence today. Because you know all too well that if you side with Jesus, then your life as it is right now will be over. You'll have to turn your back on that sin that you love You have to walk away from everything that displeases him that perhaps right now you love and enjoy. But friend, here's the truth. Since Jesus Christ loves you like this, every loss is worth it. By receiving Christ, you gain more than the universe itself because your sin doesn't love you like Jesus loves you. Your money doesn't love you like Jesus loves you. And fame doesn't love you like Jesus loves you. The devil doesn't love you like Jesus loved you. Only Jesus loves you like this. So lose it all for the sake of knowing him. And you'll be more loved and have more than you ever dreamed possible. Friend, come down from the fence today and walk with me all the way to heaven until we see his lovely face and bow at his crucified feet. Pray right now with Wesley. who said this, he said, I'm no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have All things let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your will and disposal. And now glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Jesus died to save sinners. That's good news. Isn't it? Amen. Amen. Why don't we respond and worship with this closing song of praise. My Lord, what love is this that pays so dearly? Let's worship together.